If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 12-12. Welcome to hour number one of this week's edition of the World According to Zig podcast. My name is... John Ziegler, and this is the podcast where we talk about the news of the week, the events of my often bizarre live, and where we provide you with a and an oasis, if you will, of honesty and rationality in the desert of insanity and deceit, which is the American media, cultural, and political landscape. Lots to get to in this final week of the Barack Obama presidency as the world prepares for Donald Trump to be inaugurated as president of the United States. I'll have a few thoughts on saying goodbye to the Obama presidency, but really looking forward to this podcast because we have not one but two really good guests scheduled. In hour number one, we're going to be joined by Republican media consultant turned anti-Trump commentator Rick Wilson for a number of reasons. One, Rick has some really interesting opinions about Trump and his presidency and how this happened and what it all means, but he was also tangentially involved in the biggest story of the news this week, which was the entire Donald Trump-Russia dossier story, which has so many different angles, and I'll cover each and every one of them better than anybody else you're going to hear in any media outlet. But Rick will provide his perspective and why he was tangentially involved in this story a little bit later on in hour number one. In hour number two... We're going to be joined by Ralph Cipriano, who is a writer out of Philadelphia who has been covering and breaking an amazing story involving the Philadelphia Catholic Church sex abuse quote-unquote scandal and the conviction of four people, including a Monsignor in Philadelphia, that is falling apart in a huge way. Two people are still in prison. A fake accuser has gotten $5 million. A Monsignor is facing a retrial. And on Friday, there was some bombshell testimony. And there are a lot of similarities and direct connections between that case and the case that I've been following for and investigating for the last five years, the so-called Penn State scandal. So really looking forward to speaking to Ralph in hour number two. But let's start with the news of the week. And that, of course 
at this point really means it's always going to be about Donald Trump unless something massive happens. It's one of the many prices we're going to pay for the Trump presidency. It's going to be a circus. Every day is going to be drama. In fact, people have been joking that Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey Circus is ending because they can't possibly, after 146 years, compete with the Donald Trump circus presidency that's coming. And I, there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, every single day is going to be drama, as we saw this week. And can you imagine what's going to be like when he's actually president of the United States? The drama this weekend was a bit misplaced, although understood. It dealt with a feud he got in with African-American Democratic Congressman John Lewis, who's known as a civil rights leader and hero to a lot of people, because Lewis referred to Trump's presidency as illegitimate and said that he would not attend the inauguration. Now, in a rational world, I know, forgive me, I know we don't live in that anymore, not even close. We have completely left the gravitational pull of a rational Earth a long time ago, and we're now just orbiting into this bizarro world that that Donald Trump is leading us into. And as a result of, frankly, it's definitely a symbiotic relationship there. But I digress. In a rational world, Trump would have either ignored what Lewis had to say, corrected Lewis maybe factually and said, hey, look, you know, there's nothing illegitimate about my election. The Electoral College has been certified. I won without legitimate dispute enough states to get over 270 Electoral College votes. That means I'm president. And I hope that someday I'll be able to earn your respect and, you know, maybe we can come together at some point. I mean, there's something along those lines. That would have been the mature way that every other president in the history of the United States or president-elect would have handled the situation. But no, 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 no. We're in the uncharted territory of the Donald Trump presidency. And so Trump, his ego being as fragile as it is, him being as thin-skinned as he is, needed to attack. So he goes on the attack against John Lewis in a way that was not particularly well-based factually. Uh, It was poorly timed because we happened to be celebrating Martin Luther King (laughs) Jr. holiday weekend. Uh, So, you know, not that that makes it inherently wrong, but your your timing could be a heck of a lot better. So he, he creates this feud with a civil rights legend, John Lewis, who the media loves, they, they, they've all, this is one of these guys who can never do anything wrong because, after all, he's a civil rights hero. And, you know, when you think about how the media treats people, it, it's almost nothing trumps, to use a term, not, by, not on purpose, pun, no pun intended, nothing trumps civil rights legend, or hardly anything does, when it comes to how the media is going to treat somebody. So Lewis is going to get every benefit of the doubt. Trump was stupid to go after him, but this is what Trump does. And this is, again, and I'm going to say this a thousand times, I'm sure, before this is all said and done, however long this takes and wherever it takes us, that this is the price we pay. And I, The reality is my number one objection of many to the Trump presidency is we are paying too high a price for what we are likely to get in return. Not that we're not going to get anything in return, by the way. I'm still optimistic, maybe delusionally so, that we will get some positive benefits 
to the Trump presidency, certainly in comparison to what would have happened had Hillary Clinton been elected president of the United States. I am more than happy to acknowledge that, and I look forward to some of that. But we have paid an awfully high price in so many different ways. And this is just another small example. So any work that Trump has done with his high-profile African-American outreach, which has included, let's see, uh, Ray Lewis, once charged with murder, ended up pleading guilty to obstructing justice in a double murder case. Uh, Kanye West, Don King, convicted of manslaughter. Steve Harvey, who, as far as I know, hasn't committed any major crimes, but is most well-known for having blown a, a beauty pageant winner's name. The, this, is, this is the outreach that uh, Trump has done in very high-profile ways in the African-American community. Basically, if you're a famous black person who's willing to meet with him, then all of a sudden you get the legitimacy of, of a meeting and even a post-meeting press conference on a couple of occasions with the president-elect of the United States. Well, any positive that was done there, and I, I don't know if there anything was done positively there, but it's been erased by this feud with John Lewis. Now, whether as to the issue of whether Trump is legitimate, I don't think that's the right word. Trump won. I've always acknowledged that. It's a miracle he won. It's amazing he won, but he won. So therefore, to say he's not legitimate is, in my view, not accurate. Now, are there several asterisks, if you will, kind of like a, if you think about uh, records in sports, sometimes there have been asterisks because the records were done under strange circumstances. Like, for instance, the home run records of Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds. To a lot of people, they have asterisks. They're still there in the record book. They still count, but because of the steroids, in a lot of people's minds, they're not, well, I'm going to use the word legitimate, which is the word that John Lewis used. But I, I think when you talk about a presidential election, that's a dangerous word to use as opposed to sports records. But the reality is people aren't going to give them quite the same weight because there are mitigating circumstances. Well, there are a lot of mitigating circumstances here. He lost the popular vote by almost 3 million votes. If he doesn't win three states. Nobody gave him a shot in hell of winning Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin by very, 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 very small margins under suspicious circumstances, I believe, because of the James Comey letter. And when I say suspicious, I don't mean that the count was wrong. I just mean that you take away that letter, and I think Hillary Clinton wins those three states, and she's president of the United States. But when you can take, take those couple of things into consideration, then the fact that we now know that Russia and Vladimir Putin were proactively trying to help Donald Trump win, went out of their way to try to destroy his opponent's candidacy. And, oh, by the way, he's been incredibly friendly to them and nice to them, complimentary of them in numerous ways during the entire campaign through the period of his transition, nominating as Secretary of State Rex Tillerson a literal friend of Vladimir Putin, a guy who has an award for being a friend of Vladimir Putin. And when you consider that a similar person has been nominated as his national security advisor, when you take all that into consideration, there's some asterisks here. There's some questions. He does not come into the presidency, Donald Trump, 
with any sort of a mandate. And that matters. That's going to matter in a lot of ways, especially when it comes to the fight over the replacement for Antonin Scalia to the U.S. Supreme Court. So I don't agree that Trump is illegitimate from a technical standpoint, but I do think that it is certainly credible to put an asterisk or two on his election, which diminishes his mandate. By the way, I would have said the same thing about George W. Bush, who absolutely won the 2000 election. 100%. He 100% won the 2000 election, but... I never would have claimed that that was some sort of a mandate or that that didn't influence the way that his presidency should go because of the way that he won in such a razor, historically small margin in Florida and obviously the Supreme Court battle that ensued. So none of that, um, to me, is hypocritical. Where Republicans are hypocritical and where Trump is the biggest hypocrite of all is, of course— This notion that now, we've seen this over the last 24 hours, it is absolutely outrageous for anyone to question the legitimacy of an elected president of the United States. Well, (laughs) I mean, come on, people. We just elected Donald Trump. Donald Trump spent years doing the exact same thing with Barack Obama with the whole birtherism bullshit. I mean, come so the hypocrisy is just... It's just flat out ridiculous. And that may be one of the things that bothers me most about what Trump has done to republicanism, conservatism, to the conservative media. We now have to all carry water. I don't. That's why I'm doing a podcast now. But they all have to carry water for essentially a cult leader. That's what Trump is. He's become a cult leader. So all facts, all logic, all consistency, it's all out the window. You must say whatever supports the leader at that moment. And so for Trump to get all upset about a congressman calling him illegitimate after what he did to Barack Obama without a remote, remotely close to a fact, is just, it is absolutely outrageous. It's hypocritical. And you can't make this up. There were numerous situations this weekend where Trump supporters were on television trying to make this argument that it's outrageous to question Trump's legitimacy, and then they get hit, smacked down by, uh, excuse me, what about Donald Trump and birtherism? And, of course, there's no answer to that. And hypocrisy used to matter, but it no longer does because we're living in this post-truth, post-Trump world. Now, all of this is tangentially related to the biggest story, I believe, of this week, a story that has many layers, and that's the story of this so-called Russian dossier that was apparently presented to the president, the vice president, and to the president-elect in apparently a couple different forms, a dossier that was prepared by a former British spy who apparently is a credible person, Christopher Steele is his name, which has some really incredibly explosive allegations slash conclusions in them. Basically, what this dossier says, and I'm paraphrasing, is that Russia has been gathering compromising information on Trump for years. They have it. 
They have tried to get more. They failed in a couple of instances, specifically in the financial realm, by offering him sweetheart deals, which interestingly he did not take, apparently, according to the dossier. But they have video and audio of him, among other things, engaged with prostitutes in a bizarre sex act, which supposedly was meant to defile the bed used by Barack and Michelle Obama while they were in Russia, which didn't seem doesn't doesn't just doesn't seem right. And I forget about the moral aspect of it. I'm just talking about when I read it, I went, really? That does that doesn't smell right, literally and figuratively. It just doesn't seem plausible. It doesn't seem Trump. I mean, part of it seems Trump-like. The part about the prostitutes, I, I'll buy that. No, no problem at all. I have zero issue believing that Donald Trump was engaged with Russian prostitutes while hosting the Miss Universe pageant in Russia. That's not an issue. But there are other deeper issues related to the dossier, including basically that Russia very systematically, proactively wanted to get compromising information on Trump and to help him win the presidency so that they effectively would have blackmail on him and that they did not want Hillary to be president because... They thought that she would be less controllable, that she would be more dangerous to them, and that effectively they could control, and these are my words, the stooge that is Donald Trump. Now, there's nothing to prove anything that's in this dossier. So there's two basic issues. Is what's in the dossier true, and how did the media handle the issue of the dossier? With regard to the news media, Trump got a huge break. And this happens a lot with him. He's a very lucky guy. He'll, he'll be the first one to tell you this. You know, with, with him. With me, it's just works. You know, it's magic. Everything's just magic. Or luck. If it's magic, which I don't believe in, then it'll maintain itself. If it's luck, eventually it's going to run out. But it did not run out this week. So because there were two aspects to this story from a media perspective. The first was what CNN did. CNN reported that the president and the president-elect had been provided information by our intelligence community that Russia had been seeking and may have obtained compromising information on Donald Trump. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a news story. Without question, that's a news story. Why is it a news story? Because the intelligence community deemed this information, which CNN did not provide details of, deemed it important enough to provide it in a briefing to the president and the president-elect. That's a news story. And CNN had numerous, very well-connected sources. And they had several high-profile and credible reporters on the story. And since then, numerous things have happened which have, I believe, increased the credibility and vindicated the credibility of CNN's original story. But here's where Trump got lucky. See, this dossier had apparently been making the rounds for months even before the election. Numerous media outlets had it. 
one of the media outlets which had it was BuzzFeed. Now, BuzzFeed is a very popular website, but not exactly the bastion of journalistic integrity or without a whole lot of record in breaking major news stories and serious topics. It's really not their thing. But my guess is that numerous media outlets had this dossier, and BuzzFeed looks around and they think, okay, well, CNN has reported that at least either this document or a summary of this document was provided to the president and the president-elect. That makes this document newsworthy. See, this is the way the news media works. They always want cover for any, you know, they, 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 they want the juicy story, but they need a juicy story that will also not get them crushed. So they need some sort of cover. So CNN comes out and BuzzFeed, I think logically, says, oh, well, this makes this document newsworthy, relevant. We don't know if it's true what's in this dossier, but we're going to publish it, frankly, because I think they felt as if other outlets had it and they were going to scoop them because they came out, wham! I mean, I don't know what the exact time was, but it was almost instantaneous where BuzzFeed decides to publish the dossier right after CNN reports what they did. Well, BuzzFeed got crushed by the rest of the news media and by the public and the internet reaction because none of this is substantiated and it got labeled as fake news. Fake news is new news new buzzword, which is really aggravating because it's now being used sometimes to label stories that might be true but haven't been proven yet that you don't like. And Trump knows this, and he's been very, very effective at this. And so the Trump people hit back really hard, calling it fake news, saying it was outrageous for BuzzFeed to do this, and then CNN, in my view, panics. CNN thinks that they're being connected, and the Trump people are, in fact, trying to connect them, and there's no question that as press conference, Donald Trump connected incorrectly what CNN did and what BuzzFeed did together. And CNN thinks, oh, no, we're getting attacked for something we didn't do. So what does CNN do? Instead of defending BuzzFeed and saying, wait a minute, they've made a legitimate choice, a choice we decided not to make, but it's certainly relevant information even if we know It's not substantiated as of yet. That would have been the proper take, both politically as well as ethically. But no, CNN panics, and they throw BuzzFeed under the bus. Well, this creates the sense, the perception that there's blood in the water, that some journalistic crime has been committed. Therefore, anyone close to that journalistic crime must be guilty. In a weird way, and I'm sure I'm the only person in America that thought of it this way, but it's actually a pretty good analogy. It's a lot like what happened in the Penn State case when the Paternos, in order to try to protect them, throw Sandusky, Jerry Sandusky, completely under the bus, not realizing that in the long run it was very much to their own peril. Well, in this case, CNN is the Paterno part and BuzzFeed is the Sandusky part where BuzzFeed gets accused of this horrendous journalistic crime and CNN wants to say, well, wait a minute, we had nothing to do with it, even though 
for all intents and purposes, CNN did facilitate what BuzzFeed did because without the CNN report, BuzzFeed never would have gone with the story. But that's legitimate because it wasn't newsworthy and relevant. Not to mention they didn't have the political cover yet. But I wrote a column, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, where I defend vigorously BuzzFeed. It's appropriately titled In Defense of BuzzFeed. And I'm no BuzzFeed fan. I despise all elements of the news media. And I despise stories that aren't true. But there are a lot of reasons why what BuzzFeed did was not just legitimate. It was obligatory. And part of that is not just because it's relevant because it became part of a presidential briefing, but because of the nature of the Trump presidency. This is not a normal situation. Let's pretend that the president-elect was normal and had none of the connections to Russia that Donald Trump has that I've already listed earlier on in this hour. Let's pretend it's just a normal president-elect. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, this bizarre document with these salacious allegations comes to light. That would not be as legitimate because it wouldn't make any damn sense. This, whether it's true or not, at least makes sense. We've got a guy who is weirdly, inexplicably soft on Vladimir Putin, both personally and politically, and Donald Trump. His appointments to major positions like Secretary of State and National Security Advisor almost invite the question of what the hell is going on here with regard to connections to Putin. We already know that Russia hacked into the DNC for the express purposes of trying to help Donald Trump be elected. And I guess the most important element of this, which nobody else mentioned that I saw, but what I, which I do get into in the column that I referred to, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, is that this is imperative that this information get out because as blackmail information, it loses its value to compromise our president, assuming it's true, if everybody knows about it. They were, and that, and so in a way, BuzzFeed was doing Trump two favors. One, theoretically, BuzzFeed was destroying the value of Russia's blackmail information. But two, and this is not what BuzzFeed intended, but they were actually creating the misimpression that somehow this was a journalistic crime or this was fake news. And so Trump was able to claim in a way that I think was under the category of dust out protest too much, which is highly suspicious. I wrote, I wrote a column about that uh, yesterday, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com. A very telling response that I think indicates a great insecurity by Donald Trump on this issue. And the reality is that I'm, almost, I'm more convinced that there's something to this dossier today than I was the day it came out. The day it came out, I read it and I thought, this just doesn't, doesn't feel right. doesn't seem legitimate. doesn't seem true. But based upon everything we now know, there's got to be some fire there. I don't know which part it is. Some of it has already been discredited from a factual standpoint. But not all of it, and if any of it's true, if any of it's true, this is a really serious problem. But the Trump team, at least for now, 
has won this battle with the news media, which was the top top title of another column I wrote. Again, you can find it at freespeechbroadcasting.com. A column I wrote for Mediaite about how Trump won yet another battle with the news media. It's amazing how he does this. Part of it's because of the media's impotence and incompetence. Part of it's because he's the greatest media manipulator there's ever been. I just wish Trump used his powers of media manipulation for good. He very rarely does. It's usually for evil. Now, a tangential person in this whole Trump-Russian dossier story is a guy by the name of Rick Wilson. You've probably seen him on television. He's a prominent GOP media campaign operative. He's been very anti-Trump. And he was, in the early stage of this, stages of the story, accused of having helped leak, leak it. And his role was used by Trump supporters to create a, what I believe was a hoax in and of itself, a theory that the entire dossier was a hoax, which turned out to be total and utter bullcrap. But I've been wanting to speak with Rick Wilson for a while. And he's agreed to come on, and because it was more news, newsworthy this week, I'm glad we were able to work it out. So here is our interview that we recorded just earlier today with uh, former GOP media operative Rick Wilson. Rick Wilson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, John. Great to finally talk to you. Uh, I've been a big fan, of, big, big fan of yours on, on Twitter and, and your media appearances. You're one of the few guys... With the, on the GOP side to have the guts to uh, call out Donald Trump for what we both believe that he is. And uh, a lot of things I want to talk to you about, but the first is what happened this week and how you kind of became part of this incredibly strange story involving the, <laughs> the, uh, the dossier that CNN and BuzzFeed reported on in different ways. Tell me, um, when you, what was your reaction when you first realized that the the Trump forces were trying to claim that this was all a hoax created on a 4chan message board and that you had actually helped leak a complete hoax. What tell me tell me take me through that. Well look, my first reaction was that it was it was typical of folks who in the in the era of Trump will believe anything that supports a, a vision of Donald Trump the, the the picture of Donald Trump in their heads. The second thing was, I, I read the 4chan transcript right away, and I realized that the the holes in it, in terms of the claims that I was involved in this, weren't just large enough to drive a truck through. They were large enough to drive an army of trucks through, um, and, and it, it didn't work with the timeline. It didn't work with the sourcing. It didn't work with with any of the uh, any of the accusations that they made, and they basically claimed that I was the source of this document for. Uh, to, that I took this document to the CIA, that I took this document to BuzzFeed, and it was it was laughable. And the fact of the matter was, as I said on the record, and I, and I put up a Medium post about this, um, uh, there were claims made in that document that were certainly making the rounds in the intelligence community, uh, both in the U.S. and Europe, where I have some uh, so, some connections and some some friends. Um, but I had never seen the document until BuzzFeed leaked it, or until BuzzFeed ran it. And the fact of the matter was, um, their history of this and saying that that they produced it and I leaked it has a calendar problem, because they're claiming they produced it in November. Well, the fact of the matter was, we were hearing about this. The first time I heard about it was from a 
investigative reporter from a major news network, um, and that was back at the end of July. Now, of course, we'd also been hearing about Trump's business dealings in Russia, and we've been developing some of our own research on his business dealings in Russia as far back as 2015, because this is a guy who, who once you start digging through the, the, the transcript and the record, this is a guy who has got an awful lot of, of interesting ties to, to Russian uh, businesses, uh, both in the U.S. And in, and in Russia that he has denied and, and, and tried to walk away from, and frankly, in a couple of cases, even gone so far as to basically perjure himself, like in the, in the, in the depositions he gave about Felix Sater, a guy who's directly tied to the Russian Bretva, the Russian mob, uh, who worked one floor down from him in his, in his building and was responsible for helping to finance some major Trump deals. So, you know, this was... This was something, like I said, that was out there, and the, and the ties to Russia were out there, which a lot of us were chasing, and a lot of folks in the intelligence community were chasing very vigorously, well beyond just this sort of purient, you know, sex-related stuff. Folks were looking at, you know, whether this guy was compromised by Vladimir Putin in a variety of ways. Rick, um, one of the more amazing elements, and there are several of them, of this whole deal is that not only did major players in the conservative pro-Trump and I, I don't even want to use the word conservative anymore. The pro-Trump media, like Matt Drudge, yep. Matt Drudge picked up this this bullcrap uh, hoax theory yep. uh, that you were involved with this. And yet there's never any real condemnation of that. In fact, I'll guarantee you that millions of Trump fans still believe it now. And they're the ones claiming well, they do. And, and they're, the funny part is, the, the, or maybe this the tragic part, is that they're thinking that this makes the dossier story fake news when they're the ones <laughs> believing the real fake news. They, they're believing a hoax, which is an admitted hoax, published by a group of, of teenagers uh, in 4chan, uh, despite... Every piece of evidence to the contrary. I mean, and the basic key here is the, the claim that I was the person who's the source of this document to both the CIA and to BuzzFeed. I made it very clear. I've stated it on the record that if anyone at BuzzFeed thinks I'm the, or anyone thinks I'm the source for BuzzFeed, that I would have done it off the record, obviously, because this was leaked to them off the record or on background. And so what I said was, <clears throat> I officially hereby release BuzzFeed from any confidentiality agreement that I would have given or what would have expected from them in the course of doing this. So BuzzFeed is clear and free to have anyone call them, including Rush Limbaugh, who went after me on Friday afternoon, have anyone call them and say, hey, did this come from Rick Wilson? He has waived any confidentiality agreement. Well, since it didn't come from me, that question could be easily asked and resolved. Now, not one of these people, uh, Rush Limbaugh or Gateway Pundit or any of these other folks, managed to to rouse themselves enough to actually make that phone call and ask that question. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've done something extraordinary, which is to say to any, you know, to, if you can ask any reporter that ran anything about this, if I, if I shopped this memo to them or leaked it to them or gave it to them or even talked to them about it, because the first time I saw it was the day it ran in BuzzFeed. Rick, Full stop. All right. Now, let's move on to some other elements of this. Sure. Um, Part of why you were fingered incorrectly as the potential leaker of this uh, dossier is, is your connection to uh, John McCain and his old presidential campaign. And it was, and it is true 
that McCain played a role, although apparently a very minor one and maybe one that right. wasn't even relevant. But, th- but there's no question that this document got into the hands of John McCain and that he passed it on. And, and he has said publicly that he's uncertain as to whether or not the document is true. Based upon well, what... Go ahead, did you something? Let me, give something? You, let me give you one more thing. This was another area where these guys really screwed the pooch, okay? Okay. If, if they knew anything about my relationship with John McCain, um, it's testy to say the least. Right. John and I are not friends. John and I are not allies. John and I are not buddies. Um, John has had a, a, a lot of harsh stuff to say about me over the years. Um, when I produced the original ad against uh, Max Cleland in Georgia, right. John McCain was one of the Republicans who was losing his mind about me having done that. Right. When I produced the original Reverend Wright ad, uh, John McCain was uh, very no bueno with that. Right. Uh, so this is not a guy who likes me or trusts me or, or we, that we interact. Right. Uh, I respect the senator's service uh, to our country profoundly. I've always said so. Right. But I've never worked for John McCain. We're right. not friends. And if these guys knew anything about Washington and, and, the, and the Republican political enterprise, they would have recognized it saying that, 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 that of course, I took it to my buddy John McCain to get it out there. Right. It was now, just laughable. Well, of course. But, and, and I wasn't even mentioning it uh, in terms of the credibility of the Fort or the lack thereof of the 4chan story because we've already discredited that. I, I'm, mov- right. I'm moving on to trying to figure out whether this dossier itself has credibility. And I guess, the, mm. I, and I guess, my question to you is, based upon having read it, which I'm sure you have probably several times. I know I have, and and based upon your knowledge of opposition research and you know, the intelligence community and the way this document made its way through the food chain, including the hands of John McCain, right. what is your evaluation of its likely credibility? My evaluation is it looks like a lot of human intelligence reports that one sees in the intel world, um, which is to say there are things in it that are lead, there are things in it that are certainties, there are things in it that are wrong. Um, and so you have to evaluate the person that produced it, you have to evaluate the sources they used, um, and you have to evaluate whether it fits into a larger mosaic of the things you know about the behavior and the history of the subject. And, and so I don't have a way to validate many of the things that are in that report, such as the, the, the Ritz-Carlton issue, which we'll call it, for lack of... For, 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 for keep it it's, a, it's, a, it's a podcast. We can call it the golden shower issue, Rick. All right. right. Well, yeah. Well, here's the thing. The question of that is something that's very difficult to judge. And, of course, the people that would have made that recording, who all work for Vladimir Putin, would be the last people um, who would reveal it uh, you know, at this point, they wanted to get this guy elected, and 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 they worked very very hard to get this guy uh, in office. So the fact of the matter was that you know assessing that document is something that has to be fit into a larger intelligence picture. And in a lot of ways, the Trump people would much prefer to talk about whether or not there was some purient, uh, you know, sexual misconduct, right? Uh, rather than talk about the fact that. There are accusations from people who were clearly well placed inside of Rosneft, the Soviet uh, energy company, Russian energy company, um, who are now dead mysteriously, weirdly, um, uh, about uh, senior Trump officials uh, trying to offer to remove the sanctions on Russia in order to um, in order to provide 
or, or in exchange for providing those guys with a with a multi billion dollar payout. Um, I'm sure they would rather talk about that than the connections of Mike Flynn and Paul Manafort and all these other folks involved in Trump's world, um, because those things uh, don't just look bad; they look illegal. Those things don't just look bad; they look they look um, uh, to the point where the the long rumored uh, and and now confirmed uh, FISA warrants against Trump associates in Russia. Uh, you can see what the reasoning behind those is. This right. is a guy who clearly um, is is much deeper into the Russia thing than than he wants to admit or his people want to admit. And and the fact of the matter is, we're not going to get a true story and a true accounting of this unless and until uh, you know Congress makes them do it. And and I I don't see that as a likely scenario for quite a long time. I, I agree with you on that. But let's try to read some tea leaves. All right. Um, sure. One of the things I'm confused about with regard to this story is how in the world, and you would know this better than I because this is more your world than my world, but how in the world, since you apparently were at least somewhat aware of the existence of this intelligence, how did this not Mm -hmm. see the light of day during the campaign in an era where almost everything gets leaked somewhere because of obviously the the internet and this new media era in which we're living in, how did that not happen? Well, I will tell you one thing to look at. Uh, if you look at the number of stories about Hillary Clinton's email in the New York Times about fourteen hundred, number of stories about Trump's financial dealings uh, and and various Trump uh, businesses of all kinds, including you know just the domestic stuff, two hundred articles. This was this was obviously. Um, a story that, that the press just didn't find sexy enough and didn't find appealing enough, um, and, and they let it go. And so I, I'll say this. There were a lot of people, um, and look, I, I operate in a world where there are a lot of folks in, you know, the, in the political space, the intelligence space, the business community, uh, U.S. and national uh, or U.S. and foreign nationals uh, that I have a wide circle of acquaintance with. And there was a certain degree of the whole thing this year of, you know, it was, it was, you know, people chasing each other, you know, somebody heard a rumor, it passed to somebody else. And then they'd ask the same you know, it would always sort of circle back or simply in my case, like I said, the first I heard of that, uh, the golden showers accusation and the compromat accusation was from a major national reporter who had had it from a senior intelligence source overseas. That person was not in the chain with with this this piece of intel that came from Steele, um, there are, as Paul Wood of the BBC has reported, multiple other sources out there who are saying there's more than one uh, uh, report about this. There's more than one uh, incident that that intelligence services have been talking about and and wondering about and worried about for the entire uh, the entire year. So this is not something that's that's a one off. And and the fact of the matter is, you know, I, I joked about this yesterday. There was a, uh, an incident where the IRA tried to bomb Margaret Thatcher, and she said something to the effect of, we were very lucky today. And the IRA's response was, you, know, you have to be lucky every time. We only have to be lucky one time. The Donald Trump folks and Donald Trump himself have made a giant bet. And that giant bet is absolutely nothing will ever come out uh, on the Russia angle that will cause him to have any distress or, 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 or difficulty. Now, some of these things they're probably right about. But some of these things, they're going to end up, um, you know, facing a, a point where 
where investigative bodies and where and where uh, uh, intelligence agencies, by law, can't just sit on their hands and say, eh, no, no problem, don't worry about it, no big deal. That's that's not acceptable in the long term. So I think we're going to end up with with several things driving it. One is Trump's continued like doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on on saying that he's going to be allied with Putin, which even tonight he came out and said, yeah, I'm going to um, I'm going to trust Margaret or, or uh, Angela Merkel and Vladimir Putin equally. <laughs> you know, Ronald Reagan is probably spinning his wow. grave right now. It's astounding. Well, well Rick, so, but Rick, how much? And I'm not sure that, that uh, maybe you've never thought about it this way, but I'm curious to me, part of the explanation for why this didn't come out sooner is that the allegations, if true, are so, one, over the top, I mean, movie-like, but also so devastating. It's kind of like the threshold for accusing somebody of a misdemeanor is much lower than it is for, say, double murder. That's right. That's right. And and, and I think think there's very little... um, very little opportunity. Uh, very little opportunity, you know, right now for us to know what's going on because you know Trump is not transparent. We don't have the tax returns. We don't have any real financials. They're all made up. Right. We don't have a media that was motivated to come out and say, "Hey, this isn't this isn't how um, you know we think that 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 is a is a normal way to do uh, presidential politics." But- and but instead. You know, we ended up getting this Trump spectacle. And, and look, these guys in the press, a lot of them now, are utterly terrified of of Donald Trump cutting off their access. They're utterly terrified of Donald Trump's minions and crazy people and, and, and all of his, you know, his horde coming after them. Right. Um, and, and, and look, you and I have both experienced this. These people. They're nuts. You know. They're, 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 no, they're not just nuts. They're batshit crazy with sugar on top. <laughs> I mean, they, these people are, these people are, are truly, um, truly seeking to, to, uh, ensure that Donald Trump basically has a sort of authoritarian media privilege of never having a harsh word said against him. It's a cult. It's a never cult. Never having a critique. It's, yeah. a, co- it's, a, it's cult. a cult. It's a cult. But, but see, yeah. I think though, Rick, and let's go back to the tea, le- tea leaves. Because I think yeah. we can figure this out, and I'm, I'm fascinated to see if you agree with me on this. See, when this first broke, I read that thing, and I'm like, if I had to bet gun to my head, almost all of this is false. But when we look at some of the things that the Trump side, see, I always look at the other side, how they're responding. You can tell a lot. And there yeah. were sev- several things that happened and didn't happen that, to me, now make me go, wait a minute. There is something here. Number one was that Kellyanne Conway, his former campaign manager's performance mm-hmm. on CNN with Anderson Cooper. She not yeah. only she not only had no clue of the facts, which tells me, Correct. and as you know, you know how this works. When there's a crisis and you're not getting the facts from the only person who knows, which is your candidate mm-hmm. or, or your president, that's a red flag because when the, when when they're, when they're not telling you the facts there's a reason they're not telling you the facts it's not because there's she another did- thing go ahead john there's another thing that, that that isn't widely publicized but it's, it's been reported out there when the rnc came on board to basically say we're going to help you donald because now you're our nominee 
they said one of the things we'll be doing is putting together a big defensive opposition research package. The Trump people said, oh, fuck, you will not. Right. right. They never did oppo on Trump. Right. And, he, uh, and, and, and they, did, they just didn't care. They just they just didn't do well, it. Well, that they or they were no. they were afraid of pissing Trump off because he said he didn't well, want it. Well, there's that. There's that. Okay, yeah. but, but let me go through so, this. So so we have Kellyanne Conway with a with a very strange and pathetic performance where she is throwing out buzzwords, fake news. The meet uh, no one yeah. likes no one likes the media. She doesn't know the facts. She's all over the place. And I'm like, whoa! I mean, I almost started to believe the golden shower story purely on her CNN appearance. And then, then we also have Trump in his press conference not even coming close to answering the question, did your campaign have any contact with Russian officials during the election? I mean, purpose, right. purposely, he does not answer that question. He makes no, in a rational world, Rick, under these circumstances, especially since he's already promised this, he, a, a, a real president-elect would feel compelled to say, you know what? I'm going to release my taxes just to eliminate any concern, mm-hmm. any questions. There's not even been a shred of hint that he's going to do any of that. Then, uh, I, I, John, I will predict something for you. Donald Trump will be impeached. He would rather be eaten by. That's probably true. They're the Rosetta Stone. They're the Rosetta Stone of everything about this guy, um, and, and including things like his lack of giving to actual charities, his lack of his his. His, his lack of tax, right? Uh, lack of paying taxes uh, by using a variety of real estate exemptions and whatnot. I mean, this is a guy who who quite obviously views views giving up his his tax returns as something that that is is akin to death. Right. And they're never going to do it. He will always lie and say, "Oh, we're under audit. They right. can't be released." Right. Uh, which is, of course, a, you know, a, a laughable, a completely laughable. And he lie. also said, by the way, at one point, if he won, he would release them. I mean, he's lied numerous yeah. times. But, but, mm-hmm. but let me just finish this. So, uh, yeah, so yesterday, on Saturday, he tweets out, and this is in the middle of the John Lewis thing, which distracted everybody from this, although I wrote a column about it on, on Mediate. He, he right. tweets in all caps, which is strange to begin with. I mean, usually, you, usually you block somebody that does that. He, he tweets in all caps a claim tagging the wrong tiny little uh, One American News Network, which didn't right. even make the report, that somehow the dossier had been considered to be fraudulent by investigative insiders. Now, to me, that is a massive indication knowing Trump the way that I think that I do and his mentality mm-hmm. of his insecurity on the issue. He's the only one on the planet, Rick, as you know, who knows whether there's anything true in that dossier. He would know yeah. he knows better than anyone. If it's really a fraud, if it's really a fraud, what is he doing tweeting about it in all caps, citing the wrong tiny little pro-Trump news outlet. How does that make any sense, Rick? Which, as I, as I think it was you who noted, uh, a news outlet that Corey Lewandowski went to work for a week ago. Yes, exactly. And, and uh, I don't know, call me, cra- call me a crazy conspiracy theorist, but that seems to me to be rather uh, a, a strong indicator. And look, the reaction they've had to this, um, and, the, and look, I'll give Kellyanne credit for one thing. That woman is relentlessly on message. <laughs> she, is, she is relentlessly on message. What she's not, honestly, in my view, is informed. I don't think Trump has told her a damn thing about this. No, she's guessing. I think she's, I think she's guessing. I think she's trying to play the media, which she's very, very good at. 
Uh, she's very talented at, at that. Um, and, and I think that there's a, there's a sense that, that she can get away with it if she just blusters hard enough long enough. Right. Um, well, so, but do you agree yeah. with do you agree with me that the response here from Trump and his team is consistent with that dossier having truth in it? The response that they yes, the response that they have displayed to this is uh, I think telling and strange and and over the top intense. I mean, they, these these folks are not are not are not concerned about this just because it questions Trump's legitimacy. They're concerned about it because they are they the few of them at the senior level I think have been you know finally convinced that if the intelligence agencies um, in this war Trump is having with them uh, have more and they release it it puts Trump in a terrible situation and it also puts his congressional defenders and allies in an even worse situation. See, to me, the greatest fear here, Rick, is that Trump is incredibly soft on Russia and Putin for his whole his whole term because he's afraid of, of what they might have on him and what might release, which by the way, he, he heightened the value of, but by denying mm-hmm. its existence, which, Correct. which frankly is treasonous if it's true. I mean, if it's, if, if he's lying, in my view, he's committed treason because he has given power to an enemy of the United States over the presidency. Uh, that, that's, and anyone who doesn't believe that Russia is a hostile foreign power, Right. And a dangerous hostile foreign power that is engaged in the the wholesale killing of folks with things like shooting down airliners, invading neighboring countries, um, disrupting uh, uh, the elections in other countries, um, killing journalists. If anybody thinks that that, that Russia that that's normal and that's okay, just because Russia uh, seems to like Trump and they excuse, use that as an excuse, I hesitate at all times to use the T word, but. That's right up, you know, if that's not treason, it's getting to third base. Right. I hear you. Now, we're speaking with Rick Wilson, who is a longtime GOP media campaign operative who has become a a very uh, vocal anti-Trump critic. And, Rick, there's so many things on the eve of his inauguration I could ask you about. But I just want to talk briefly in the time we have left about Trump's coming presidency in general terms. and. one of the things that has me so conflicted of many is I don't even know whether to root for the guy anymore uh, because, and this sounds strange because obviously I want what's best for the country. Sure. Um, and you know, I want to somehow uh, survive this whole thing. And I, I want to beat back liberalism if, if or socialism, if possible. But I guess what I'm saying here is I don't know, honestly, politically in the long term. Whether or not we're better off if Trumpism succeeds or if it fails, what's your view on that? My view is this, and this is something that Trump supporters never understand. My critique of Donald Trump is from the right, not the left. Right. Yeah. I believe that Donald Trump is is displayed a lot of a lot of things that are that are anti conservatives, um, anti uh, anti free market, um, and and frankly opposed to a lot of the values. That, that Republicans claim um, should motivate our economic, foreign, and domestic policies. I mean, I, I, look, I get the emotional and the political appeal of saying, oh, I'm going to bring back all these coal mining jobs, and I'm going to bring back you know, these car industries by, by, by putting this border tax on. But, you know, we used to lose our minds when Barack Obama chose winners and losers. Right. 
We, it wasn't just because he was picking green companies over traditional businesses. It was because philosophically we were supposed to be people who believed in the power of the free market and removing the dead hand of government from, 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 from markets. Well, we don't believe that anymore. Right. You know, we used to believe in, in standing with countries that reflected and represented and shared our values. And, and, and that meant that we, we, we stood with countries that were, you know, primarily in, 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 in NATO and ASEAN alliance countries that, that stood up against totalitarianism and oppression. And now, you know, he's in bed with a guy uh, who is, who is the, the exemplar now of the modern strongman, the modern authoritarian. Um, and it's just the, all these values that they claim to represent and they claim to, 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 that motivated them seem to be absent from a lot of Donald Trump's policy pronouncements and a lot of his – I mean, look, we used to say we were the party of fiscal discipline, and we did a terrible job of it. We used to, we used to say, you know, we're going to cut taxes and we're going to cut spending. We did a terrible job of those things. We weren't great at it, but we at least seemed to believe it. And now Donald Trump is basically saying we're going to spend trillions of dollars more uh, on infrastructure and all these other things. We're not going to do entitlement reform. We're, we're not going to do anything that, 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 uh, that, that cuts the growth of spending, the growth rate of spending. Um, and, and look, if, if nationalist populism becomes what is conservatism is defined by, then conservatism doesn't mean anything anymore. Oh, and, I, I have no idea. I, I have no idea what conservatism means. I have no idea what republicanism means anymore. I really don't. I have I have no idea, and that's why I'm so confused as to whether or not I, I want Trump uh, to succeed. I, I think that, by the way, he's going to do some things that we're going to find to be a heck of a lot better than what Hillary Clinton would have done. But I just think, oh, of course, and, you know. And this is the other thing is, you know, I, I never look at this as a as a truly binary choice, right? Um, and and I never want. Look, I've got I, I've got a history of going after Hillary Clinton that stretches for at this point, yeah, uh, since nineteen ninety nine. I went to work for I'm Rudy right, I'm right there with you. I, it's absurd that people like you and me got you know called Hillary supporters. It was it's, right. a, to, it's to, laughable to, to me. It, you know, the issue is short term, long term. In the short term, Trump is going to be better for us. In the long term, though, that's where I'm really concerned. I, I, and that's the, under the best of circumstances. That's assuming he doesn't blow up the whole world. Uh, I just yeah, think, there's that whole blowing up the world problem. Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think that we're paying, and the way I put it is, we're, we're paying a price that is way too high for what we're going to get in return. And it's, and it's very much, yeah. tr- Trump is like a drug. You know, in in the short run, drug use is fun. In the long run, it never ends well, and uh, and, and that to me is the best way to to summarize Trump. Last question for you, Rick, since you're yes, sir. you're your your campaign guy, and I know you know I predicted time and time again that Trump could not win. Uh, I believe you you predicted uh, that Trump yeah. was going to lose. Uh, my, what what one of the things that frustrates me, and, and look, I'm all about accountability, so. Hey, look, I was wrong. But what's so frustrating, I'm curious if you agree with this, to me, really weren't that wrong. I mean, he he lost the popular vote by a lot. My whole premise, my whole premise for why he could not win was that I could not see him getting over 46% of the popular vote or her getting below 47% of the popular vote, both of which turned out to be true. And in every other election in the history of the United States, that's a that's a winner. You you can't you cannot overcome that. I guess my question to you is 
to, for people who don't understand elections, I view what happened as a as darn near a miracle. I mean, we're talking about just off the charts uh, bizarreness of of circumstances. The chain, yeah, the the chain of dependencies that led to a victory of the scope that we're looking at here was such a weirdly disproportionate, you know, uh, popular electoral split is 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 meaningful. I do think for what we've seen in a lot of the tracking uh, from the last couple weeks of the campaign, the Comey revelations really burned her to the ground. It really yep. that really laid some damage on her. She could never recover from. Yep. And and I frankly do think. That you know, if this had happened to Republicans on the, if this she had been on the other foot, uh, and this happened, there would be blood in the streets. Uh, there would be there would be fire and tarp and, and pitchforks and torches and tar and feathers. If Comey had come, if Comey had come out with a letter on the Russian connections to the Trump campaign, uh, eleven days before the election, and he and he had been leading. Uh, there, there would have been uh, hell to pay. Uh, there may not, yeah. there, there, yeah. there may not be a peaceful trans uh, transition of power uh, in a few right. days from now. I mean, that, and that's not exaggeration. That's not hyperbole. And I, it's, no, it's, am- not. it's amazing the hip- hypocrisy on people who used to be on the same side as us. Uh, for for who people are not acknowledging this. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, so Rick, so bottom, give me a bottom line prediction. Uh, I know this is way, we're, you know, we should be out of the Trump prediction business. But bottom line, uh, four years from now, um, do you do you think Trump is is still president? You know, uh, John, I hate to make that prediction. I, I'm I'm going to say this. I think I think more than any other candidate in modern history, there are reasons to believe Trump doesn't make the full four years of his first term. But there are also reasons, frankly, to believe that the guy leaves office at the age of, of 80. Um, you know, it, it all depends on where our politics has really gone, and we don't know that yet. Fair enough. I mean, so. Fair enough. Rick, a great insight. Great talking to you, and uh, hope to talk to you again sometime, you, some, sometime soon. You bet. I'd love to. Thanks. Thanks. Right. Appreciate you having me. All Take right. Talk care. to you soon. That's Rick Bye-bye. Wilson. Uh, GOP uh, operative and now uh, anti-Trump commentator and a good guy and some interesting thoughts there. We, we seem to be simpatico on a lot of it. Uh, and uh, I hope you enjoyed uh, that interview as much as I did uh, conducting it. A couple other thoughts before we end this hour on this week and Trump. During his press conference, was scheduled for the purpose of addressing his massive financial conflicts of interest. And, you know, maybe the most amazing thing about Trump during any given week, are the stories that don't get much attention. But this week, the president-elect of the United States announced that he was going to get around massive conflict of interests because of his global financial empire by giving up control of his companies to his sons. That's pretty much it. Oh, 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 I forgot. He's going to promise not to speak to his sons about the businesses. It's just flat out ridiculous. Seriously. Seriously. I love the poorly educated. It's it's unbelievable. But if this is an issue that American people don't care much about, they don't really understand. You know, this is the advantage that Trump has because... I love the poorly educated. This is outrageous. And, by the way, 
it would be absurd under any circumstances. But in, in Trump's case, it's more ridiculous because of the nature of his empire. I mean, all of his his holdings have his name on them. It's not like he's going to forget where he has holdings he's in, what states he's in. The reality is he'll know damn right well what decisions he's making, which will benefit or potentially harm his business holdings. Even if somehow, as improbable as it would be, especially for a guy who you can't trust, that you're just going to say, oh, well, he's not going to talk to his sons about it. This is a joke. This is an utter joke. And yet, no one cares. No one cares about issues of conflict of interest. And the media is impotent to do anything about it because they're distracted by other things and it doesn't get ratings. And by the way, while we're on it, and this just occurred to me this week, of all the myriad of problems that we have put on a, put upon ourselves by electing Donald Trump, which no one ever thought about, here's one for you. And I know this, is, this sounds incredibly morbid, but I'd love for someone to tell me where I'm wrong in worrying about this, and I haven't seen much of anything else about this. What about the fact that every property in the world with the Trump name on it on January 20th instantaneously becomes a prime target for a terrorist attack? Because effectively, if you're ISIS, if you're Al-Qaeda, or if you're just a foreign country, you take control of a Trump property, even a property that's not his but just has his name on it, perception-wise, media-wise, you have a, you've basically taken over part of the White House, part of his property, even though technically it's not his. Perception is reality. How is that not going to be a massive problem and a major temptation? His, and, and by the way, his entire reasoning behind his quote-unquote solution to his financial conflicts is that he effectively, this is the bottom line, any other solution would have cost him too much money and that wouldn't be fair. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically his, his logic. Okay, buddy, but that's why the presidency is what it is. I, I'm sorry. That, yeah, I agree. I agree that most of the other solutions would have ended up costing him money. But that's why you're in the big leagues now. You know, per, you know technically, you know, that the old phrase, that's why you get paid the big bucks, even though the presidency doesn't make big bucks in comparison to what Trump supposedly makes on a yearly basis, although we don't know that since he won't release his tax returns. But the, the reality is, I'm sorry, but that's what you signed up for. When you ran for president and he's not having his feet held to the fire here because the news media is powerless. They're impotent. They've lost their influence. No one trusts the media and the media will only cover stories that gets ratings, which is why his tax returns, they don't get ratings. So he got away with that and he's going to get away with this financial conflict of interest issue as well. And oh, by the way, stories that didn't get much play this week from Donald Trump um, the president-elect of the United States, a, re- a Republican, met with Robert 
Kennedy Jr. on the issue of vaccinations, which Robert Kennedy Jr., son of Bobby Kennedy, liberal Democrat, Kennedy family, all that, he doesn't believe in vaccinations. He believes that vaccinations cause autism, even though there's no real evidence nor logic of that. Apparently, Jenny McCarthy was unavailable. So he meets with Robert Kennedy Jr., and apparently Kennedy is being considered to head some sort of committee on vaccinations, which just by virtue of his last name and his Democratic pedigree alone should be a disqualifier. But oh, by the way, what about the fact that he's a nut job conspiracy person with regard to vaccinations? And yet, I'd venture to guess 90% of the American people don't even know this happened. It's, it's, it is amazing. It is absolutely extraordinary what's happening. And there's, there's too much to cover. Our attention spans are too short. The media is too incompetent and too impotent to do anything about it. So that's where we are on the eve of the Trump presidency. Amazing, <laughs> amazing how little, really, the, the end of the Obama presidency has gotten with regard to attention. There's been some efforts. CNN has done a couple of documentaries on the end of Obama and the end of Michelle. And liberals are all, of course, upset that this is the end of his eight years. For a guy who made once made a movie called Media Malpractice, How Obama Got Elected and Palin Was Targeted back in 2009, I never dreamed that I would be uh, in a situation where a Republican would be coming in who scared me more than Barack Obama did. Obama will never, ever, 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 for better or for worse, and I take some, actually I take some solace in this, ever be able to get around the one major fact about his legacy. He was replaced by the guy who wrongly spent years claiming he was an illegitimate president because of his lack of a birth certificate and he wasn't born in the United States. In other words, the guy who was the most obvious and dramatic condemnation of him possible, which effectively erases an enormous amount of Obama's legacy. Much like Bill Clinton was replaced by the son of the guy who Clinton beat. That didn't happen by accident. He was repudiated. Now, frankly, I think we've gone too far in the other direction with regard to repudiation because I don't trust Trump at all. But I can take at least some glee in the fact that forever and ever, nothing will ever change. doesn't matter that his approval rating is 54 55%, whatever the hell it is. Obama was replaced in the greatest repudiation that was theoretically even possible. So we got that going for us, which is nice. All right, that's the end of this hour of the World According to Zig podcast. If you like this, and look, I do this for free. You don't pay for this. If you like it, tell somebody you like it. All I ask is two things. Tell somebody you like it and share it on social media, whether that's Twitter or Facebook. And the second thing is, if you're one of those people who sleeps at night and uses sheets, do yourself a favor and listen to this important message. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. 
What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.